Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Now, this week, earlier this week, I looked up a church, and immediately when I Googled this church, their Google reviews came up. Did you know churches have Google reviews? This church had 4.7 stars out of 5. That was pretty good. So I clicked on... Well, you don't even know what church this is, so you don't know what this church is, but I immediately clicked on the reviews, and I was drawn to the one-star reviews, because they're more interesting. So some of the one-star reviews were like this. I, I love this one. It started out this way. I always tell my kid that if you've got nothing nice to say about a person, do not say it, especially behind their backs, but I have to make this review an exception. Have you noticed that like when anyone gets angry, they'll make exceptions to all the values that they claim to have in life? Like, no, you should never do this, except when I'm angry. A little too close to home. Okay, let's move on to the next one-star review. I love this. The politics of this church is disgusting. I was turned away from using the facilities because I'm not a member. Okay, okay. Politics and people, okay, they go together, I guess. This is my favorite one-star review. Love it. Love it. And the church responded underneath and said, did you mean to give us one star with love it? My favorite review of all of them was a three-star review, though. I love this one. It says, the church has wonderful worship singers, but miserable song selections. <laughs> it was so good. And they, were, they wanted music more like from a different era and stuff. It was just interesting looking at these reviews. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why am I drawn to the one-star reviews over the five-star reviews? I skipped over 100 five-star reviews to get to those three one-star reviews and the three-star reviews because there's something in me and there's something in you that's drawn to a little bit of drama. Are we not? We're all kind of drawn to a little bit of drama in our lives. I like what the Black Eyed Peas said in their song, Where's the Love? They said, you know, well, what's wrong with the world, mama? People acting like they, living like they got no mamas. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama, only attracted to things that bring you trauma. Just watch the Netflix series you're interested in. Just watch what comes up in your social media feeds. If it's not drama, you're not interested. Drama has something that attracts us, but here's the facts around drama. Drama will age you before your time. Drama wears you down, and it ages you prematurely. Drama is also something that adds unnecessary complexity to your life. How many feel like life is complicated? Oh my, only, a, only a few of us do. I, I talk to a lot of you, and I think a lot of you are lying right now, because <laughs> life is complicated. But drama adds unnecessarily extra complication in life. It makes it more complex. Drama is never neutral. Drama is always costly. There's an expense to drama. So as we head into a new school season, kids, 
We go into a new fall season at work, new fall season with our family and friends. What if, could you just imagine with me, if, what would it look like to say no to the drama llamas in your life? What would it look like to be able to look them in the face and say, this llama doesn't want your drama? What would that look like? Could you imagine the health, the simplicity? Could you imagine the energy, the emotional quotient you would add to your life by saying no to the drama llamas? So let's practice that little line because you may need it this fall. Let's start with all the students in the room. You go like this with your two thumbs. You go, this llama doesn't want your drama. Are you ready, kids? Let's do it. This llama doesn't want your drama. Now, adults, you add in. Because you know what? As you age, the drama doesn't go on, uh, down. It kind of ratchets up. So let's go. Let's go. This llama doesn't want your drama. I want you to remember that throughout this message. This llama doesn't want your drama. So why is it so hard to avoid drama? Well, for one, drama, and I want to help you define what drama is because it may not be what you think. Drama shouldn't be mistaken for problems in life. Kids, you're going to have problems at school this fall, guaranteed. Teachers, you're going to have problems at school, and some of them have names attached to them. We're all going to have problems this fall. That comes with life. It's complicated. It's hard at times. There are problems, and you know... A mark of maturity in a human being is not their age. It's their willingness not to avoid their problems, but to face them. Maybe I should say that again. A mark of maturity is not how old you are. It's your willingness not to avoid your problems, but to actually face your problems. And how do you do that as a grown-up? You pray about them. You give them to God. You seek wisdom around those problems. You find wise people in your life and you bring them into your confidence to try to find a solution. You, you, you try to, you always do this, you remind yourself of this, pay attention to your problems. They're real. Now, some of you are like right away saying, Pastor Jonathan, you don't know my life. I have so many problems. <laughs> it's so heavy, that's why I want to avoid them and I feel you. You know, none of us wants really equality in this life. Because some people have been burdened with a disproportionate amount of problems. And if we redistributed them, you'd be carrying a few more. I like that old adage, you know, if we threw all our problems on the table, you might be tempted to pick up yours once you see other people's problems. But that's why God designed you and I to be in community with each other. He designed you to be a part of a community where you're known, heard, seen, and cared for. That's why at One Church CEO, I want to encourage you this fall. I want everyone uh, to be a part of a community group here at One Church CEO. Now, you might say, listen, I can't attend the physical campus at 2885 Kennedy Road. Join a digital one. Why do you need to? But, Pastor Jonathan, I don't have many problems. I don't need to go to a community group. No, 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 because you don't have many problems. You need to go to a community group. Why? Well, everyone needs to be known, seen, heard and cared for, and we can't do that in large gatherings. We do it in limited capacities in places like this. And if you're doing well, you need to know people, see people, hear people, and care for people. Take whatever strength God has given you to lend to others. God designed community to work this way because we all have problems in this life. There's another thing that we can't, don't mistake drama for people. People are not drama, but people carry drama with them. 
This is, this is, it's often tempting to eliminate or cut people out of your life instead of to deal with the drama they bring with them in life. It can seem easier. We have a little saying on our staff team here. It's one of our staff values, a person before a function. And what we mean by that is a person is more, who they are is more important than what they actually do. And that's a reminder to all of us to care for people, to be careful with people. I've said this in many times in our gatherings here on weekends. If you're part of One Church too, you've heard me say this. Always a person before a problem. You can be tempted when you see people to see the problems first. We need to remember that everyone has been made in God's image. There's two Latin words. I, this might be new to some of you, maybe not new to many of you. Two Latin words that theologians use to describe this. The Latin words are imago dei. Can you say it with me? Imago Dei. And it comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says that God created every human being, even the ones you can't stand, in his image. And so we would be good to be reminded today that everyone, you, your life, and every life you know has meaning and purpose because they've been made in the image of God. And they've been made to be like him, to have significance and meaning. That every person you interact with, including yourself in the mirror in the morning, has intrinsic value. Sin, circumstances, poor decisions may tarnish the image of the person, but it never devalues the intrinsic value of a human being. They're priceless. They're priceless. Handle with care. So, kids, the next time maybe a bully is trying to make you feel small or... Adults, somebody at work is trying to make you feel small. You may need to kind of recite this thing. You might need to say, this llama is an important llama because this llama is an Imago Dei llama. You've been made in God's image. Let's say that together. Let's say that together. You may need to pull that out sometime this week. This llama is an important llama because this llama is an Imago Dei llama. Let's one more time. This llama is an important llama because this llama is an Imago Dei llama, been made in the image of God. So if drama isn't a problem, and drama isn't a person, even though people bring drama with them, what is drama? Well, here's the working definition for drama for the message today. The drama is a problem, a situation, or a conversation that is, say it with me, it's avoidable. You have enough unavoidable problems. Why do you take on all the avoidable ones? It's a, it's a conversation, a situation, or a problem that is avoidable. It can be avoidable. But we get, drama sucks you in. And it drains you of your emotional energy. And that severely limits your capacity to deal with the unavoidable problems in life. A lot of us avoid dealing with problems in life because we've spent all our energy trying to manage the drama in life. Do you hear me? Some of us avoid problems in life because we've expended all of our energy dealing with the drama llamas in life. So how do you deal with this? How do you handle it? How come we can't seem to avoid avoidable drama? Well, people create drama. They create drama. They create drama, and, and it can be a way of getting what they want in life. Commotion produces results. So, in other words, uh, every drama llama knows this. You have a limited 
capacity of energy. And if you get enough drama coming at you, you're going to capitulate and give in. Ever raise a two-year-old? I've seen the most resolute moms and dads. They're going to tell, well, my kid's not going to be like this. And then they get a two-year-old. And the whining starts, and the crying starts. And then you see them giving in and giving them the candy and getting them out of bed and do Why? Because they can't deal with the drama anymore. Drama llamas work that way. Also, drama llamas know this. Sometimes people entertain drama because it can be a way of getting what they need. Here's what I mean by that. I've seen this many times in life. That some of us are in unhealthy juvenile relationships full of drama. And we're not producing the drama, but we stay in that relationship. And I'll tell you why we do it. Because it's feeding something in us. We get to be the adult of the room, and we need to be in control a little bit. So I've seen it with young adults that are trying to grow up in their home, and parents still treat them like they're in grade school. And there's a reason to it, is often those young adults will give them, they'll act like six-year-olds at times in areas of their life, and that gives the parents all the fuel they need to control their kid's life. And the kids, the adults don't secretly want them to grow up because they want to maintain control. We need to check ourselves sometimes. Why do I entertain this? Is this meeting a need in my life? Something going on deeper inside of me? We say we want them to grow up, but commotion produces control. Okay, so all this drama is expensive. We've established that. It's not neutral. It'll prematurely age you. It's expensive. So how can you avoid the avoidable drama? I'm going to take you to one of my favorite leadership books in the whole Bible. And it's found in the older part of the Bible. It's a book principally called by the name of the chief character in the, Bible, in the book, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an interesting man. He's a Jewish man. He's born into captivity. He's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And King Artaxerxes reigns over the Achaemenian Empire. And while Nehemiah is in captivity, he hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, his home city. And in Jerusalem, they're under great oppression, great insecurity, great poverty, because the walls have been destroyed and the gates have been destroyed. So they're they're great insecurity. The people are crying out. They're in poverty. They see no, they're vulnerable. And it moves Nehemiah's heart. And he cries out to God, and he goes to King Artaxerxes and says, I feel I need to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And God softens this king's heart, and he releases him. Doesn't just send him on his way, he sends him with money, sends him with his authority. So Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem, and you get to see on full display this incredible leadership intuition Nehemiah has. He's a gifted leader. He's able to quickly galvanize a a depressed, broken group of people towards a great, great vision and project. He's able to galvanize them, move them towards that. In fact, in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, he does a speech to all the people. And they're so excited, they respond with these words. They say, we're with you. Let's get started. They roll up their sleeves, ready for the good work. Can you sense the enthusiasm? Nehemiah is on his way to realizing the dream, the great vision that's before the people. But there's a problem. When they start work, three drama llamas show up. Three of them show up. 
And it turns out his greatest obstacle to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and the gates is not the economic realities. It's not galvanizing and inspiring people towards it. He did all that. And if you read the whole book, you realize those people needed to be re-galvanized many times towards this project. So uh, leadership is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. You've got to have tenacity. You have to have resilience to do it. But that wasn't the thing. It's three drama llamas turned to be the the most difficult thing he faces. And they all have names. Sabalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They show up. And they're ready to distract Nehemiah with drama from the great vision he has. You know, friends, I've been pastoring for over 30 years now. And in leadership, if I've learned anything, I've learned this. The greater the vision, the greater the distractors and the detractors. The greater the vision for your life, for what you want to accomplish, you will automatically attract drama llamas that will be distractors and detractors. It comes with the territory. Roll up your sleeves, just know that when they arrive, you're probably onto a good thing. I've had a front row seat to watch people in life just try to better their lives, try to rise above their station to get unstuck in life. And I've watched the drama that's ensued from their peer groups and those around them that attempt to drag them back down. You see, sometimes drama llamas come for you because they're jealous of where you're going and fearful that they may, not get, they may get left behind. That's truth. It's always saddest when I see it in a marriage where one partner's trying to better themselves and move ahead and the other partner is either jealous of where they're going, often though, mostly fearful they'll get left behind. And instead of working on themselves, instead of working on themselves to join them in this journey, they begin to work against this journey. And they bring a lot of energy to actually stunt the trajectory of this journey this person. Now, friends, before you're quickly going to judge people in your life, maybe family members and others, just know this. Every family is dysfunctional. Every family is dysfunctional. Those that you think aren't are. Those who think their family are not, it's only because you're not talking about it. Every family is dysfunctional. How can you say that, Pastor Jonathan? Because last time I checked, there's probably people in your family. I like what one pastor said years ago. He said, I've never counseled a couple with marriage problems. I counseled couples who had problems who got married. And that's true. Every family is dysfunctional in nature. Every time when you get a little discouraged, I've been discouraged. I was thinking of a, a story I could share about my family, not my immediate nuclear family, but my family I grew up in. I have a great story of lots of family drama that happened to us a few years ago that I could share with you now, but I realized as I was coming on stage today, I was thinking like, some of them are watching right now. I love you guys. <laughs> so I can't share that story with you today. Uh, when people start passing away, then I will. <laughs> I, I love the quote by uh, the comedian Jeff Foxworthy, because every time you get discouraged about your own family, he said this, if you ever start feeling like you have the goofiest, craziest, most dysfunctional family in the world, all you have to do is go to a state fair because five minutes into the fair, you're going to be like, you know what? We're all right. We're all right. We are dang near royalty <laughs> when compared to the dysfunction around us. Uh, sometimes it's nice to look around and realize, well, at least I'm not that. But we are all that. 
We're all dysfunctional. We're all imperfect people. None of our families operate perfectly. None of our marriages operate uh, perfectly. That's why you can't stop working on it. Don't rest on previous wins. Stay hungry to be healthier, to be a better Imago Dei, reflector of your Lord and Savior, Jesus. I just want to talk to the kids in the room and the young adults and youth just for a moment. If you want to do something great with your life, make sure you surround yourself with people who are for you and that will push you. And just know this, those same people that are for you and push you are also the same people that are going to bug you at times because they're going to hold you accountable. People that are for you are going to hold you accountable because they love you. Greatness comes from accountable relationships and bearing great responsibility. You can only bear great responsibility if you're healthy, so make sure you take care of yourself. And if you're in an accountable relationship, make sure you won't be healthy unless you have people that can call you out. Unless you have people that will hold you to a standard. So sometimes your parents are those people, and it kind of is lousy. As you get a little older, you want to buck underneath it, but... I want you to know accountability often is one of the greatest signs of love. And then you'll be able to bear great responsibility. Be, be careful with those relationships. They're invaluable. You'll find lots of people in life who are willing to affirm whatever broken decision you want to make. They're willing to affirm bad habits, everything else. There's very few that love you enough to confront you to say, hey, you're made for better than this. After all, that llama is an important llama. That llama is an Imago Dei llama, right? Is that not true, my friends, adults? Is that not true in life? So surround yourself with people who will push you and help you because there's drama llamas are jealous. Where you're going or fearful, they'll be left behind. Also with drama llamas, drama llamas come for you because they're losing control of you. This happens all the time. Uh, listen, over the years, when they start to see they can no longer control you, they'll often ratchet up the drama around you in order to regain control of you. Here's how it happens to Nehemiah. Uh, they begin to ratchet it up. The more successful he is, he gets to a point where he's rebuilt the walls. They didn't think that was possible. So they, 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 they come after him. Here it says in chapter 4, it says, When Symbalat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he exploded in anger, vilifying the Jews. This is something we'll come to in a moment. You have to do this if you're a drama llama. you got to vilify someone. It can't be you. Uh, what are these miserable Jews doing? Do they think they can get everything back to normal overnight? Make building stones out of make-believe? Drama llamas never come with something positive. They come with something that's supposed to weigh you down. Why are they angry, though? Because the future has arrived in Nehemiah. And Sembalat and Tobiah and Geshem, when you read the story, have benefited from the brokenness of the Jerusalem walls. They have benefited from the poverty of the Jewish people and the vulnerability and the insecurity of the Jewish people. Here's what you need to know about privilege. Sambala, Tobiah, and Geshem had been in a place of privilege for a long time. Every time you see brokenness in this world, there's a reason why it continues to exist because somebody's benefiting from it. And the great mass of people that were under poverty and oppression they were the ones they were standing on top of. But Nehemiah shows up, and he's about to turn the tables. Nehemiah is going to build a future for those who've been oppressed, 
those who have been marginalized. And because of that, they're threatened. They're threatened because they have financially and power-wise benefited from the destruction of Jerusalem. So the three drama llamas create drama, and they do it the same way every drama llama does. If you want to be a good drama llama, which I hope you don't, I can give you three steps. Because there's three steps to creating a good drama. You ready? You ready to start a good drama? It always starts with a victim. Preferably you. In this story, uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, they see themselves as the victim. They're the ones that are losing now. And so they are desperate. They're the victim in the story. And often the villain is great at playing the victim. Let me say that one more time. Often the villain is spectacular at playing the victim. And these guys are Oscar winners. Two, you need a conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theories help you assign motives to people. And if you ever see YouTube, anyone ever forward you a conspiracy theory video? Come on, now, the moment of truth. Anyone ever get a video filled with conspiracy theories from YouTube? Put your hand up. Put your hand up. The rest of you are living under a rock. Or you don't have the internet or something. I mean, they're just everywhere. They're all over the place. And you notice this with every good conspiracy theory. In order for it to be believable, you need a motive. This is why the government's doing this. This is why you need a motive. And so you need to be able to assign the motive. And Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, they've assigned a motive. First, they're the victim in this. They assign a motive. The motive is Nehemiah's trying to make a name for himself. This is all about Nehemiah. This is his ego on display. And then you need a narrative. You need a narrative. You need how this is going to be so bad for you. Now, what, what are they doing? They're recruiting in this process. The conspiracy assigning wrong motives helps you to recruit others onto your, uh, onto your cause. When you build a narrative, and their narrative was simply, this is going to be a disaster. I know you think the walls are going to help Jerusalem, but then all the neighboring nations are going to feel threatened by you, and they're going to attack you and destroy you, and you're going to lose everything. And that's what they're saying to the Jewish people who have nothing. Fear-mongering. You see... Drama always lives in the shadows of fear and anxiety. And it fuels people with fear and anxiety. So what does, what does Nehemiah do? This is brilliant. This is worth the price of admission. He does what, I, I, I love it. He has these drama llama uh, strategies. How, and, and the first one is don't feed the drama llamas. Don't feed the drama llamas. He, he talks about drawing boundaries around the drama llamas. Now, some of you may have been here a few months ago. Pastor Jessica did a message on relationships and boundaries. Really worth a visit as you go back into the fall to maybe go into our archive and see that video because that would be very helpful in equipping you. Drawing boundaries. Now, here's something we don't often talk about. Some of the people you need to draw boundaries around the most are the people you keep telling yourself are well-meaning. They mean well. You keep justifying their rudeness. You keep justifying their boundary violations because she has a good heart. Because he means well. You know, friends, uh, they may be well-meaning, but the truth is they're boundary violating in your life. 
And you need to draw a boundary because when you draw a boundary, you cut the energy, their drama energy out of your life. Notice I didn't say cut them out of your life. But you need to cut that energy out of your life. Every human being brings an energy into your life and you'd be wise to pay attention to what they're bringing to the table. Because that energy can fuel you or that energy can depress you. That energy can give you peace or that energy can bring you great anxiety in life. Drama llamas rob you of peace and calm. And here's the truth. They don't mean to most of the time. In fact, if you confront them and say, listen, you're bringing a lot of drama into my life, they're going to be perplexed. Like, what, me? What drama am I bringing into your life? What are you talking about? No one's ever said that to me. Have you ever had someone say that? No one's ever, in other words, you're the problem, not me. It kind of reminds me, when I was like six or seven years old, I had a newspaper route, and I delivered papers in my neighborhood. I, I was rich. <laughs> I was making like, a, I don't know, a buck a week, and I thought I, was, <laughs> I thought I was a millionaire. I got bitten by a dog twice. I love dogs, by the way. And every time the owner said the same thing, my dog has never done that to anyone else. <laughs> and I'm always, like, I look back now and I think, how is that helpful to me? I've just been bitten, and you're telling me your dog's never done Well, he did it to me. In other words, what did you do? What did you do to provoke my, my dog's never? And that's how drama llamas often operate in your life. Uh, the Bible would call drama llamas really uh, what the Bible determines fools. And the only way a fool changes is with boundaries. But beware, I'm going to let you know up front, drama llamas are allergic to boundaries. Dra boundaries to drama llamas are like garlic and daylight to vampires. If you're here today and you like garlic and you like the daylight, you're probably not a vampire. Because those things make vampires angry and anxious. Just like boundaries make drama llamas angry and anxious. Healthy people love the fact that you have boundaries. Healthy people appreciate you having healthy boundaries. Drama llamas are like vampires, and they will emotionally bleed you out. And often what will happen, when they bled you out, then they'll wipe their hands and say, you know what, you were never there for me. Like, it will always come back in your face. I'm just letting you know right up front now. So what did, what did, what did he do? He stops, Nehemiah's strategy was to stop feeding the drama llamas. How did he do it? He did it with silence. This is going to feel really unchristian these next five minutes. But I want you to bear with me because I care about you. I want you to bear with me. He, I don't mean this silent treatment that is often a manipulation tool that people use in relationships. And they shut people out. I'm not talking about that. I'm, choosing, I'm saying choosing calm silence. Choosing calm silence. It's not, that boundary is not meant to limit their voice it's meant to value your voice. Every boundary empowers you. And you need these boundaries in your life. In our story, Nehemiah is making headway. Again, the walls have been rebuilt. Their gates have not yet. So they ratchet up because he's getting more successful, closer to the vision being. They, the three drama llamas ratchet up their drama. And in fact, it says this in chapter six. It says, when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem heard that I rebuilt the walls, but they hadn't yet installed the gates, Sambalat, Geshem sent this message. Come and meet with us in Kephren, 
in the valley of Ono. Say, oh no. Yeah, oh no, you didn't. <laughs> like, don't go there. They want a dialogue. They want a debate. Nehemiah responds with these words. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so I can come down to see you? Four times. I want you to see that. Four times they sent this message. Unrelenting. Unrelenting. What is that meant to do? Make you capitulate. Give in. Four times they sent this message. And four times I gave them my answer. I gave them my answer. Now, they're putting Nehemiah in a position to sound rude. He's already said no in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. He said no to dialoguing with them, debating. No about debating whether they should rebuild the walls. They've made a determination. So they've already said, he's already said no. As they, he gets closer to the end line, they ratchet up with four more times they're asking him why. Well, because they need to elevate it. They need to up the energy. They need to up the, the, and they're making Nehemiah have to feel rude. And this is what's difficult for a lot of Christians. Some people put you in a position where you feel unchristian. And so you don't say the no, you give in. Because it sounds so reasonable. Let's discuss the matter. Let's debate the matter. But he refuses to take the debate he refuses to take the bait and participate in their drama. Uh, when, when I, I think it was like seven years old. I was at a, a kid's camp, and I got poison ivy. Anyone ever have poison ivy? I had it all over me. <laughs> and uh, it was terrible, itchy. And you want it to itch it all the time. And if anyone's ever had it, you know this. You don't want to do it because it'll spread. Well, I was thinking about this week when I was thinking about drama, because I was thinking about... Drama's like having poison ivy. It would go away if you would just stop scratching it. It really would. If you'd stop paying attention to it, if you'd stop scratching it, it would go away. The drama llamas won't be interested in you if you would stop participating and engaging with them. Jesus used this very boundary tactic in the New Testament. You can see it when he's dealing with the religious leaders or the political leaders that were gunning for him. Sometimes he wouldn't even respond to them. Well, that's rude. Isn't that unchristian to not talk? And that's the difficulty. It can feel unchristian to not discuss. It can feel unchristian to say no, can it? It can feel unchristian to say, this llama doesn't want your drama. Even when we said it earlier, there were some of you that were a little uncomfortable with it. Maybe because you're a drama llama. I don't know. I, I, but either way, it feels a little uncomfortable because it can feel unchristian. I've beaten myself up how many times? I, I, you know, a moment of just straight out honesty. Like, I'm a people person. I love people. It's very hard for me to say no. Uh, uh, Jenna runs my calendar here at this church, and uh, she knows it's hard for me to say no. And she'll sometimes do it for me because I would run myself ragged because I love people. And it feels unchristian sometimes. And I've had moments where people, I've excused their bad behavior. I've excused the way they've talked to me or anything because they meant well. They have a good heart. Just stop it. Stop it. They're boundary violators. It's unloving to allow them to keep doing this. 
Drama llamas only change when your strategy changes. And some of those boundaries need to be like we're done talking about this. We talked about it. I've told you where I'm at. Nothing's changed. We're not debating this. this and you've got to realize, the more they try, this is about control. This is about control. Some of us need to stop taking the bait to debate and start using the energy to level up so we don't shrivel up. Some of us just need to stop taking that bait to constantly be debating things and use all that energy, that emotional energy that would go out to them to level up in life and get healthier instead of continuing to shrivel up. This might be, is this too much? There's one last boundary I want to share with you, and it's simply this. Filter what the drama llama says. I, I, I was thinking about it after I had put my notes in and, and it was done for the kids and everything. I, if I was rewriting this point, it would be, stop eating what the drama llama is serving. Don't feed the drama llama. Don't eat what the drama llama is serving. You can see it's beautiful here. Once they realize, the drama llama realizes you won't engage with them, they'll put pressure external pressure on you, so you have to come to the table. Here's how the drama llamas do it. Well, first, let me give you a quote by Dr. Jill Barkley. I think this is really good. When a toxic person can no longer control you, they'll try to control how others see you. This misinformation will feel unfair, but stay above it, trusting that other people will eventually see the truth just like you did. Friends, I've seen this over and over in 30 years of pastoring. I can't even begin to tell you some of the things people have called me in 30 years of leading. My favorite was still to this date that I, it was in a previous church that I was a Nazi out to destroy the church. <laughs> and it was because we were reaching new generations. This person didn't like it. And listen, let them talk. Don't take the bait. They're trying to pressure you into a conversation. One of the best things my wife ever said to me in the middle of a very difficult situation, Shelly's so wise, I remember her saying, because I couldn't win these people over. It was just like everything I tried to do to meet and talk and everything, nothing ever changed the drama. And I remember Shelly saying to me, what would you have to become to satisfy them? And I knew it wouldn't be me. And I knew I couldn't live with that guy. That was so freeing to me. Say, okay, well, say what you need to say. I'm going to take the high road here. And I'll tell you, the high road is not the tempting road when you're in the middle of it. Well, when you take the high road, eventually other people begin to wake up to it. Eventually other people begin to see it around you. See, here's what happened with Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse seven, 6 to 7, it says the, the, the drama llamas come to him and they start with misinformation. They say, the word is out among the nations that you, meaning Nehemiah, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. You're building these walls because you want to rebel against the king. That's why you're rebuilding the wall. The word is that you want to be king, Nehemiah. Don't you think we should sit down and talk, have a talk? Look at that last line, eh? Couldn't pressure him the other way four times. He refused. So now they're taking a different tact. They're trying to build pressure from without. Shouldn't you come to the table and talk to us about what the word is about you? Notice they're not dealing with facts anymore. Drama deals with anecdotal, anecdotal and plausible, never factual. 
And the drama llamas are spreading this misinformation. Here's how Nehemiah responds. Very short, very factual. There's nothing to what you're saying. You made it all up. Maybe, maybe we should say that out loud together. Like just practice for your own life. Let's, let's say it again. There's nothing to what you're saying. You've made it all up. One more time, because I feel like some of you need the courage to grow in you a little bit. Let's say it again. There's nothing to what you're saying. You've made it all up. Nehemiah is dealing with facts. Here's my, here's my best advice of dealing with drama llamas. Be short and be factual. I was in the middle of a moment in Montreal in my church I was pastoring, and there was a lot of drama I inherited it was stuff I showed up the first week and it was like going on in this church and I, all of a sudden, I have to fix it. And I remember calling Pastor Keith Smith up here at, at, at One Church CO. He was the lead pastor here. He had been my mentor. And I said, what do I do here? He gave me some of the best advice. I've used it in my leadership everywhere I've gone since. He said, Jonathan, craft a one-sentence response And repeat it often. And that has helped me so much. Because the more you get into debate, the more you draw into conversation, the more complicated it gets, the more drama you get, the more emotional energy you expend, the more emotional energy you expend, the less fun your life is. And you feel like giving up or giving in. Instead, a one short factual sentence that gets to the heart of the fact and moves it forward, and the debate. That's worth some of you practicing. Nehemiah deals in facts, not gossip or shadows. Friends, some of you have drama llamas in your life, and they weigh you down, and they bring unwanted anxiety in your life. And you really need to filter what's being said to you. You really do need to filter what's being said to you. I have a family member in my life that um, is not in my immediate family, but they have the gift of hyperbole, exaggeration. And it's never positive exaggeration. There's something invigorating, even if it is exaggeration, when someone's saying, you're amazing. Don't we all like a little shot of that every once in a while? Oh, okay, some people do. <laughs> this person has the gift of negative hyperbole, negative exaggeration. I want you to know the world is a terrible place, and you're probably gonna get you're going to die. Like everything is worst case scenario. It's always dramatic. It's always drama. It's over the top. It's negative. And I remember the moment with some advice from my dad where I just decided I was going to refuse to be their emotional Uber driver anymore. See, some of you are drama Uber drivers. People call you because you'll carry their drama for them. You've put your work colleagues' drama in your car. It's not even your problem, but you made it your problem. You took your friend's drama, you made it your problem. Now it's your problem. And as long as you're driving their drama around, they don't have to deal with their drama. They love you. They love you. But you don't have to live that way, and you shouldn't live that way. You're not helping them in the end, because they're avoiding their unavoidable problems. But also, too, it's weighing you down. You need boundaries. You need to do what Nehemiah does. You need to actually position yourself to care for yourself and to care for the drama llamas by not participating in the drama they produce. Remember, drama llamas are not the enemy. 
There are Mago de Lamas who deal in the currency of drama. Don't deal in the currency of drama. So this year, here's how we're going to end it. At school, at work, with your friends, with your family, with your sports leagues, in your book clubs, and everything else, what if you just determine, I am not going to take on avoidable drama? This llama doesn't want your drama. We're going to pray in a moment. By the way, that church with the 4.5 stars and those one-star reviews, that's this church. I'd say that to say, there's always going to be drama. Whenever you get people together, you're in good company. If you're not perfect, then you're in the right place, because none of us are here. None of us have it all together. None of us are fully functional, fully mature, fully healthy. We all operate in deficits. But here's the beauty of the body of Christ. You can have the strength and the energy of the Holy Spirit working inside of you transforming you from the inside out. And you can have a community of people around you that care for you. So let's pray. I'm going to invite you to, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray for a minute about your drama. Don't leave, because we've got something really special after this for all the families in the room, all the people in the room, any human person in the room and online, we've got something special for you. So stay right here. But let's take whatever drama you got going on in your life, hold it in front of you kind of thing. This is a person maybe, a situation, circumstance. It's a relationship, and it's just filled with drama. And maybe you're even at the place where you're like, like I'm just ready to give in or give up. Holy Spirit, we don't just sing about it. We know it to be true. You are here. And you're at work in every single human being's life. Even those that might be listening to me right now and they don't know if they even believe in God, you're at work in their life. So Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends that you would come alongside them. Not because they're righteous, not because they got it all together, but because they're acknowledging in this moment by holding their hands in front of them, they don't. And God, you tell us over and over in your word, the humble are in, the proud are out. And we humbly say, we're not perfect. We're dysfunctional. <laughs> we've got our own brokenness, but we've got a lot going on in our life right now. And we'd like to invite you into that space. So Holy Spirit, invade the drama in our life. Give us the courage, God, and the strength to draw drama llama boundaries around some of that drama. Help us to love the drama llamas in our life, God. But help us not to allow them to run the home, to allow them to run our lives, or to determine our future. And I pray for everyone in this room that they would find people that would be for them and people that would push them to be healthier, to be deeper and devoted followers of Jesus, and to follow you in all their ways. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So here's what's going to happen over the next couple of minutes. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite any of the parents that have kindergarten and age down children to go out these side doors and bring your children back into this room.
because Hannah's going to lead us in this song, and this song is going to be a great committal song for all of us here, uh, that he reigns above it all, all your circumstances, all the stuff that's going in your life. He reigns above it all. Why don't you position this fall by declaring that song over your life, over your work life, over your home life, over your married life, over your kid's life. He reigns above it all. And then at the end of that song, Pastor Stephanie is going to invite all of our elders to come forward. And one of our elders, along with one of our pastors, wrote a prayer of blessing for you this fall. I'd like you to come with your family. You may not have your kids here. They might be adults living somewhere else, but maybe you have a a partner here. I'd like you to come together. If you have children, I'd love you to come forward with your whole family and allow our elders to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And they're actually going to give you a card with that blessing on that you can take home with you today. Now, I just want you to know online, some of our elders are prepared to pray with you online and and do this very same thing with you. But in person, when you come, they're actually going to anoint you with oil. And that might be new to some of you. I want you to know what that means. It means it's just going to touch your head with oil. Because in the Bible, it talks about that symbolic act of anointing someone with oil, representing the presence of the Holy Spirit, who's able to change any circumstances in our life and to fill us with his presence. So I, I want to just prepare you. Come forward. Once the song is done, when our elders are in place, allow them to anoint you with oil and pray a blessing over your life. We want you to go into this fall energized and prepared for what God has for you and able to manage and face the problems that can come in this fall. You'll never be alone in it. You've got God's spirit with you. That's good news. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.